the Strong Life Coach podcast, where we speak life, coach life, write life, and lead life. Today, I'm joined in the podcast studio by Nina Burgos. Nina, welcome to the show. Glad to be here. Thank you. All right. Let me tell all of the podcast listeners a little bit about Nina. Nina is an associate partner at Dab Doob. Did I say that right? That's right, Dabdoob. Okay, Dabdoob <laughs> Law Firm, a Miami-based plaintiff's disability insurance and ARISA law firm. Born in Chile and raised in Miami, Florida, Nina is a former classically trained dancer and first-generation lawyer who has dedicated her entire legal career to representing the disabled when private insurance companies refuse to pay their disability benefits. Nina is also an adjunct professor at FIU College of Law and sits on numerous arts and legal boards. If you or someone you know needs help with a private disability claim, call 1-888-812-0393 or visit www.longtermdisability.net. Okay, Dina, before we even jump into the interview, I have to ask you about this classically trained dancer experience. I noticed that from your biography. I also noticed you also have an MBA. So tell me, before we get into the normal legal <laughs> questions, tell me a little bit about how those, whether it's your, your, your trained dancer experience or your MBA, how do they fit into everything that you're doing now? I, tell me more about that. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. I think, you know, I'm a big proponent of your journey is not necessarily lateral and what you do throughout your life compounds to make you who you are. So I've been dancing or I haven't danced in 10 years. I have a 10 year old, but I started dancing at the age of four. Um, it trained through classical Cuban ballet and anybody that knows the ballet background would understand what that means as a particular technique. Um, down in Miami, went through the public arts school system, elementary, middle and high school, and also danced professionally in local companies. The discipline and dedication and delayed gratification that's needed to pursue any art, right? Whether it's dance, music, visual art, singing, you know, musical theater is I think critical to life skills, irrespective mm -hmm. of what you end up doing. And so that to me, I think makes me a better attorney because I have to put your nose to the grind like most attorneys have to, to sure. handle the cases for their clients. And then regarding the MBA, um, I, I don't just, you know, handle cases. I've actually, since I started at the firm that I was hired fresh out of law school, actually, I've been working with the partner who was my boss at the time on a regular basis, helping to run the business. So having those skills from the MBA, understanding, you know, what a PL sheet is, understanding forecasting, understanding the concept of marketing, all of that, I think makes me a more a well-rounded uh, person to advocate on behalf of my clients. I can also figure out when I have to value cases, mm -hmm. I can quickly do that where another attorney, a lot of people say, well, I went to law school because I don't want to do math, right? So yes, yes. that also helps me as well, um, handling the cases. Wow. So. And even as you, as your, your biography speaks to being on the boards, and I've, it, it seems like the art component of your journey is very much still a part of who you are and what you do in the community. Absolutely. So they say once a dancer, always a dancer, right? Once in the arts, always in the arts. I can't take classes anymore. I'm not on stage anymore. But what I can do is be on boards where I can help influence um, funding that goes to arts program and make sure that the arts programming in my local community is the high class, world class arts that it needs to be. Wow, I love it. And I, and I want to highlight two things you said because um, about your dancing career and then also with the MBA. Um, one, it speaks to your versatility. 
right? So you got the attorney game, you got the business game, and you also got the uh, the dancing game, which is all it's just uh, it's just it's just inc- incredible to hear about. And then I also love how you mentioned delayed gratification. I think yes, though that phrase right there. Um, I mean, it speaks to me in the pizza that I ate last night, right? I mean, it, it just <laughs> it, it just does. It just does the delayed gratification and how pivotal that is for success in any industry. I think any podcast listener listening in can think about, oh, what's that one area of your life that, um, that, that delayed gratification can move you forward in whatever it is you're pursuing, whatever your goals are that are before you. But I love you capturing that. And I think that is, uh, is one of those pivotal uh, pieces of success. And, and, and no wonder you've been successful in, in really um, all these areas of your life because you've harness that that element of delayed gratification yeah it's important you know interesting enough a lot of dancers they may not necessarily become professional dancers but they become doctors lawyers or you know sometimes they go for a phd because when you've been doing those like malcolm gladwell says right those ten thousand hours that's required for you to become successful at something when you at the bar or you're in the studio day in and day out and you're getting incremental improvements a doctorate is no big deal. Sitting for the boards for you know to be a doctor is no big deal. Going to law school and taking the bar is not a big deal because you've been dealing with good gratification your entire you know artistic career. Mm, wow, I love this. I love to hear about how that translates from one to the other. Now let's go ahead and transition to talk about your attorney journey. So, what inspired okay. you to become an attorney? So. I don't have that. I want it obviously based on my background. I wanted to be an attorney when I was a kid, but mm-hmm. I, I can remember in undergraduate school, the moment that I thought, hmm, being an attorney was actually maybe a possibility for me. I am an undergraduate um, in journalism and mass communications, and we had a, a media law and ethics class, and the, the professor was uh, teaching the Hustler case. And to me, that was so interesting because it talks about First Amendment and 14th Amendment and slander and libel. And that was the first time when I was like, hmm, that's very intellectually stimulating. I might want to consider pursuing being an attorney. Put it to rest for a while, Mm -hmm. finished my undergrad, went to graduate school. And actually, um, my husband is the one that pushed me to go to law school. I was on the fence about doing it. I had sat for the LSAT, taken the exam, had my scores, and um, I hadn't applied. And my scores were about to expire. We had our daughter in 2010, which is in the middle of a recession. And with a few month old baby, my husband and I sat down and we had this conversation. He said, Nina, your LSAT scores are about to expire. You've talked about being an attorney. You've never done it, right? Why don't you just apply? And if you don't get in, you can move on and never think about it again. And if you get in, then at least you have the option, which you won't be thinking later on that maybe I could have done that. Now, circle back. When I was doing my MBA, I thought about being an attorney. And then I was like, oh, three more years of school. I don't want to do that. Forget it. I'll just do my MBA and call it a day. So I had put it on the back burner. So I applied. I had to apply to uh, programs that had evening programs because I couldn't lose, you know, stop working. We had a baby at home. So I applied to three schools in Florida. All of them needed to have evening programs. And of course, I got into all three. So then at that point, I was like, well, I have to go to law school now because I got into these schools. Mm -hmm. And so with a six month old, I started law school at night at FIU. Wow. Oh my goodness. So you, so for you, you didn't even stop working. Wow. That is incredible. And even hearing um, the detail of, I, I love that mature conversation that you described you and your husband had. 
which was any bringing up. It seems like it was it, it was one of those. I mean, there's a reason 11 years later, mm-hmm. you can recall that pivotal conversation mm-hmm. of really it was like it was really the way you described it it seemed like this call to action mm-hmm. right of um moving from where you were uh, to where you are now and i this i love hearing about mature conversations like that between couples and i think that is especially meaningful to hear about thanks <laughs> now what do you enjoy most about being an attorney i love helping people you know, I, I'm a second career attorney. I worked in the nonprofit sector before. And so I worked for an arts organization, arts education organization rather that went into low income neighborhoods to provide training for kids. So they had a better shot of getting into arts programs so then get into college, whether it's arts or academic because there's studies that show that the arts help academics. Mm-hmm. Um, so I come from that background of helping others. And I went into law school not thinking I'm gonna come out and make a lot of money, although that happens to a lot of attorneys, but it doesn't happen to all attorneys. Um, but I went in wanting to help others. Now I didn't go in and we can talk about this maybe later on, um, wanting to be a disability attorney, I kind of fell into that, but I did wanna go in um, helping others. And I think this legal field is a way to do so. So mm, that's my, yes. my, and then what I do now, everybody that I, every single one of my clients are disabled, right? Don't people don't go on disability for fun. They're not rolling in the dough. So I know that I'm on the right side, what I call the right side of the V in these cases, um, fighting for people who can't fight for themselves. Mm, Wow. I think, um, I think it it always calls me, I think it calls out my admiration for people who, who, who who are passionate about what they do. Clearly the calling (laughs) on your life to help people was there before, but you know, as you mentioned in that first career, and that, but then it, it laced on over to the career you're in now, mm-hmm. still, whether it, for, for before the way I understood what you described was working with the underprivileged mm-hmm. then, but then still it, it, within in the disabled space, working with the, with the, the underprivileged um, now are, are the, you know, people in really unfortunate circumstances. So I think you're, mm-hmm. the, what I'm hearing from you, I'm, I'm talking to a person of compassion. Um, who's had that in her career before and has, has that in her career now, which I think, again, I could see how that compassion will continue to fuel you and make it a fulfilling space for you to be in in your career. Yeah, absolutely. So go to go to tell me, how did you decide to focus on disability law? How did, how did that come about? So I kind of fell into it, right? But when I was in law school, I had no idea what ERISA was. I didn't really think about disability law. And if you do, you think about social security disability. Um, and so this might be good advice for anybody out there who is just graduating from law school or looking for work because you know, it's never easy to find work. Um, I was working at the nonprofit and somebody who was taking their little girl to dance classes, so we had a main a paying school and then outreaches. So I was in the regular school where we collected tuition and people you know, paid for classes. And then some of that money was funneled into the, non, the, other, organiz- the other locations rather. And so I was telling everybody that I was looking for work because 800 families walked through that studio every week and you had doctors, lawyers, you know, judges, everybody in between. Mm-hmm. And I figured if nobody knows that I'm looking for work, then nobody can hire me. So mm-hmm. I was literally telling everybody, I just graduated law school, I'm gonna sit for the bar. So one of them comes in she says, Oh, you know, that's interesting. I think she overheard me. That's interesting. Um, My husband actually runs a law firm and he's thinking of maybe adding some expanding. So let me give you his, let me get your information. I can give it to him. And I told her, 
I'll do one better. And I turned around, walked into the office, printed out my resume, put it in an envelope, turned on it, handed it to her. And I said, please give this to him. Mm. And she said, okay, I will. Time goes by. It's, it's true, true story. Like you can't make this up, right? So true story. Meanwhile, I'm looking for interviews, trying to get people to help me, you know, get interviews, all, all these kinds of things. Just, you know, talking to everybody, taking attorneys, senior attorneys out to coffee, just to ask them about the industry. Cause I had just graduated law school. My time at where I was, was, you know, numbered because they knew I was graduating. I needed to move on to be an attorney and I had a baby at home. Right. So I needed to, I couldn't just kind of sit around and wait for somebody to have a job drop on my lap. So a few weeks later, I get a call from the firm and I get an interview. Mm-hmm. Um, so I go in and I interview with the um, the sole owner of the firm at the time. When I talk to him, he says, look, I'm not really honestly looking for an attorney. I actually think of hiring a paralegal, but I just wanted to interview to talk to you. I saw your resume. I thought it was interesting. You have this background. We hit it off. I got offered a job uh, before I sat for the bar. So I had a job waiting for me when I came back in September. Mm-hmm. Wow. I love I, I love the the visual you gave me as you were sharing about it was you were planting seeds all along the way, you know, telling everybody you could that you, you were looking, you know, as as your uh, as the bar exam was coming up. And then I feel like with that experience you had with, with giving your resume or, or asking her to hold on and, <laughs> and printing out the resume, putting it in an envelope. I feel like that that, that kind of supercharged that one seed that you had mm-hmm. planted with that one individual. And then, and, and, and I think the, the, the context is appropriate because I know, especially as we're in the pandemic right now, um, I'm, I, again, I'm whatever, 35, 40 interviews in with different attorneys. Some of them are very new attorneys and they, mm-hmm. and they graduated um, law school, passed the bar in, during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And then they, they, they looked for jobs at first and they, are, and they weren't seeing many opportunities. And some of them started a law firm as a last resort, not because it was something they wanted to do. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I'm saying all of this because I, I love how your story illustrates looking for opportunities everywhere you could. Yep. And then when an, a, a critical opportunity came up, you proactively, add, you know, you, you proactively printed out the resume, put it in the envelope, handed it to them. And, and, and then it led to this, this opportunity for you. But I think, yeah, this illustrates a lot of those great points with being intentional and being deliberate and then what, and really helping to open up, open up your own doors for you. Right. No. And it's funny you say that a lot of my colleagues, actually, we graduated, you know, 2013, 2014, the economy wasn't where it needed to be back then either. So I do have colleagues who opened up their own firms and are actually doing very well, thankfully, but not out of initial decision out of kind of survival because they weren't getting work. Mm-hmm. And that same person who um, I gave my resume to, and that person who hired me, I've been at that firm ever since. And, I'm associate partner now. So, you know, six, seven years later, still at that firm, never left and, you know, partner at the firm. So you never know, you really don't know. And it's good to be able to make your own opportunities. Sometimes you can't just wait for them. You look for opportunities and, you know, a door will open eventually. Here's the other thing. What's the worst that can happen? They pay people say no, I didn't have a job from them anyway. So kind of have to throw your pride a little bit out the door and if pride's Mm -hmm. the right word, but Mm -hmm. you weren't going to be in a worse position now um then you are later if they say no right you're not in a worse position if they say no you're in the same position you're right now so why not Mm, yes that's one of those i i i i know it from experience i know i hear about it often but just the element of being able to face denial yep you know and it it is very much you you said pride i think about yeah pride ego very much putting the ego aside for a few moments being willing to face 
face rejection yeah. and put yourself out there. You just, you really just, ne- like you said, you just never know who's, who's going to walk into your door who, or who you're going to interact with, but yeah. to maximize those opportunities like you did. I think that that's, it's a special, it's a special lesson for us all. Yeah. <laughs> now, what is, what is one, what has been one challenge you faced as an attorney that you've overcome? So for me specifically in my practice, not that this doesn't exist still, but when I first started as a baby attorney, the weight of having my clients' lives and livelihood literally in my hands was a very heavy one for me initially. Mm-hmm. So heavy that it semi-paralyzed me, I think a little bit looking back when it comes to strategy. Not that I didn't get good results because I did, otherwise I wouldn't you know, still be doing this, mm-hmm. but that weight is still there but it's more empowering now because instead of kind of holding me back, it gives me the fuel to Mm. push and advocate more on behalf of my clients because I know that their livelihoods and lives are literally in my hands. Mm. Wow. What, what what helped you with that, that transition or that transformation that from, Hey, this is paralyzing. This is heavy. This is overwhelming to um, this is fuel. This is motivation. This is incentive. What, 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 if you, if, and again, I think it's, it's a, you know, it's a principle that's so common in the world of, uh, in, in the legal world, as you know, that so many attorneys out there are faced with some of the worst circum- circumstances that people go through in their entire lives. Absolutely. That's the, that's the reason they have an attorney in the first place. Yeah. What, what's helped you to make that transition from paralyzed to maybe we'll call it paralyzed to power? Right. Oh, I like that. Paralyzed to power. So I think a couple of things. One, I think it's back to that delayed gratification, right? Where you look and you kind of work and, and work forward. I think the other thing is um, em- empathy or emotional intelligence, right? So put yourself in your client's shoes and say, you know, I attorneys have much more power in, than we think we do. You know, we have a lot of power in our hands with credibility with the ability to, to, to argue the law, you know, the practice that I'm in, it's federal common law. So we get to actually make law, which is really cool, which doesn't happen in all areas of the law. And so I think understanding, like if this, for me, if this were a family member of mine, um, and actually, ironically, we could talk about this in a minute. My father actually is disabled and that's a whole nother story we can talk about. He's been disabled for 30 years. Um, this is a family member of mine. If this were a family member of mine, how would I push for them, mm-hmm. that's what I do with my clients. And that gives me more power than it gives me paralysis. Wow. The, as I'm, as I'm processing that concept, I, I it's, it seems like such an a counterintuitive concept. It does. Right? It's like, hold on, like to not get further away or separate yourself or to disconnect from your client's but to actually go deeper or further, or again, when I think about empathy, I think about like you're inside of their state, you're inside of mm-hmm. their emotions, you're inside of their mind, you're inside of their experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it, it sounds like it's such a counterintuitive, yet absolutely, it also, there's a, there's a, it makes sense how that can give you more power because um, you're not stifling the emotional experience of what you feel. Like people call it, and you're probably way more familiar with it than I am, but they call it a, vicarious trauma right yes you got to be careful with that right because vicarious trauma is real right and it affects i think a lot of attorneys especially want like i think picture you know criminal attorneys criminal law attorneys family law attorneys you know that that's exhausting it is um and it can be and and i think with that comes 
figuring out boundaries in a way where you keep yourself, you protect your space while still being able to step into your client space so you can do the best work for them. Mm. And that, I think that takes time and maturity and experience, you know, it, it may be a combination of a three. I'm not really sure. Sure. I love the concept. I think that that's worth, that's, that's worth meditating, even journaling on. Um, yeah. And then that, that, that journey, um, again, for the, the, the attorneys that listen in, I think that's such a great, it's a great principle for somebody who's, who's seasoned, who's been through it and, and you're seeing success on the other side of really leveraging that emotional intelligence and empathy to uh, create again, like, as we mentioned, uh, power in, in, in your, in your space. Now, m- m- maybe a similar question, maybe we'll put a little bit of a twist on it. Mm-hmm. Um, what is one common challenge other attorneys face? And what do you think is a great solution to that challenge? Yeah, so I don't know about other states, but in Florida, my understanding is one of the biggest complaints at the bar by clients is lack of communication. And I'm sure that's not just in Florida, but across the country. And I think part of the reason is because lay people, for lack of a better term, right, non-attorneys don't really understand the process of what it you know requires to move a case forward. And a lot of times they think, oh, I signed up with the attorney and nothing's happening, right? And so... I'll explain this with a personal scenario I had. So I had a client, I still have a client actually, who's a little bit older in his sixties, who would get very anxious about his case, right? And I have clients that are as young as in their twenties all the way to their Mm sixties. And every person communicates differently, right? And that Mm -hmm. I think is where emotional intelligence comes in. So this client would get anxious and send emails and then say, well, and I would respond and they'd say, I haven't heard from you, I haven't heard from you. This client's communication or love language, whatever you want to call it, was speaking over the phone. So in order to proactively manage my client, I asked my assistant to put a call every two weeks, 15 minutes, so I can check in with the client over the phone. And so that let the client know that if there were any issues that were that could wait, but the client, the client wanted to talk to me about, we were going to discuss it in our standing phone call. And if there was something that was more of an emergency, he could communicate me earlier with me earlier. Mm. That way I wasn't getting calls multiple times a day or multiple times a week and emails multiple times a day, multiple times a week. Mm. Moral of the story, right? Communicating with your clients is important because they, they freak out and they don't know what's going on. But sometimes doing that, doing a small thing proactively, which to me, 15 minutes, it didn't always last 15 minutes. Sometimes the call was five minutes. Sometimes there was no update, but the fact that we got on the phone made him feel mm-hmm. better. That's enough to then avoid bigger client management issues down the line. Wow. What I'm hearing from you is the, the element of, as, you, as you, you pinpointed, the emotional intelligence and the willingness on your side to adapt and flex yeah. to meet uh, the needs of your clients, I, 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 again, I just hear that's, that's, that's savvy business, that's mature relationship building, that is yeah. again, keen emotional intelligence. Um, I, uh, and, 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 and also the concept of an, an ounce of prevention. Yep. Uh, or what is it? An ounce of prevention is pound a cure. What is it? Yeah. So, yeah, cure, I don't know, but I know what, I know what you're talking about. I can't right, remember right, the idiom. An ounce of prevention <laughs> is better than a pound of cure or something. Or in Spanish, right? Mejor que prevenir que curar, right? There we go. Yes. Yeah. Mejor prevenir que curar. <laughs> yes, so that's the other Better option. to prevent it than have to cure it later. Yes, exactly. Right. Exactly. All right. Got it. Um, perfect. Now, let me ask you. Um, so I, I mentioned three of your areas of expertise. Mm-hmm. And even as I'm listening to you, it, it's clear. So even what you do 
in the professor space? Like, how did yeah. that come up? And what made you to say, say of all the stuff that you've already doing? <laughs> again, you're on different um, boards and all the things you're using. Okay, I'm going to add professor to the mix. Like, where did that come from? How did that come about? Yeah, why not? I don't know. I don't know why I do half the things I do, to be honest with you. <laughs> I don't know. So another funny story, talk about creating opportunity, right? So I, maybe because I'm just the kind of person where I, I like to be busy, you know, um, but I also have time with my husband and my child and, you know, I figure out how to do that. But that professorship, so I actually um, emailed the department head of the legal skills and values writing class. And I said, hey, I understand that you guys hire adjuncts. So I just wanted to put my information out there. Here you go nothing talked back and forth with him he had said oh there's a long list of people so i'll just keep you in mind i was about a year to two years we were just you know poking in um they had asked for they always do ask for attorneys to um judge moot court competitions at the school so i made sure i'd make myself available every now and then to do that and eventually a slot opened up and because i had been communicating with this department head over time apparently my my name was on the front of his mind mm. so we did a, an informal formal interview he came to my area of um where i was working because he understood i, I would be an adjunct position i have a full-time practice and we went out to lunch we had an informal kind of talk understanding you know tell me about your background i have your resume all the kind of stuff um and then it went through the proper channels that it needed to through the law school and then i got hired and i started working there in 2018 Mm -hmm. and I'm still there now so nice uh, the, the, <laughs> the principle I heard that I'm going to highlight for our listeners is this concept they call it I talk about it in sales they call it the drip or marketing yep. right that yeah. marketing drip like how do you, for our podcast listeners if you're a business owner you know people talk about the, the different ways you could implement the drip to to keep your name in people's minds how do you do that some people do the christmas cards or the valentine's mm -hmm. cards or the whatever whatever holiday is they'll send a, a card to to be able to keep their name in mind but I, what i love this concept that nina just brought up but it was this simple interactions for this opportunity that you had in mind until it literally became a reality for you yeah yeah um i love it so implements the drip is one of one of the the, the takeaway principles for for me in uh out of this conversation now now and maybe we'll, we'll segue right into that which is mm -hmm. what have you found has been the best way to attract new clients to your law firm all, all the new law firm owners out there are wondering how do we get clients how do we get more clients what's your advice to people in that space um that what's really worked for you in in in, in, in your experience with the, the law firm that you're in so that's a hard one, right? Because for example, a firm like ours, we don't necessarily get repeat customers. You know, once someone's disabled, they, they kind of stay and you're not having um, multiple customers. The other thing is it's such a, such a narrow area of the law. And you know, I talk about my practice as being an inch wide and a mile deep because that's what it is. The area that mm -hmm. nobody knows what ERISA is. I didn't know what ERISA was before I got hired. Mm -hmm. um, and ironically, this federal law um, covers 90% of American workers. Okay. So we have a lot of internet marketing, which is not cheap, right? So mm -hmm. this is kind of a machine that's been going on for years. The firm's been around for, you know, over a decade. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and so we do advertisement, which not everybody may be able to do, especially if you're first starting out through, you know, Google AdWords, we do NOLO, we do fine law, you know, we do AVO and all those kind of buzzword type uh, mm -hmm. legal places that we advertise. We have our website, 
We have content that we put out on a monthly basis. We have videos that we put out. We have a YouTube channel. It's multifactorial. We also have referrals, right? And mm -hmm. so I think that if you're starting out, you don't want to kind of get dived into all of that because you're going to get lost in the shuffle. Right, right. Um, it's too much, right? It's too much that goes at you at mm -hmm. once. So I would think, um, you know, maybe putting yourself out there, whether that's the local bar associations or the chambers, you know, um, mm -hmm. let your colleagues know if there's complimentary services, link up with those attorneys or those non-attorneys that could provide complimentary services for mutual clients. Mm -hmm. Also do your social, you know, your social media platforms um, as well. But I think you might have to, especially nowadays where everything is so internet driven, you have to figure out what you can tap into and focus on that to get the work, you know, the word out. Mm, yes. I think you gave us about a seven step uh, business plan there. <laughs> seven step marketing plan. No, I love it. I love it. I think um, the, the more, the better. I think, um, uh, you know, in, in the beauty of it, depending on the area of law, depending on yeah. their state, uh, what I'm just seeing more and more is it is back to like different people are going to find this a different rhythm. Yep. And yep. It, it, it is very much a, like, yeah, I, I could tell you exactly what, you know what Nina her firm does in in Florida and now it might work exactly for you in California or it might not you might need to right. you know flex and and, and adapt but I, but that's what I love about the options that you just shared um because th those can absolutely be customized so that it maximizes the results for each for each person listening in yeah and for us it's important internet marketing because we we're a nationwide practice mm -hmm. so we need to be out there and be able to capture clients across the country because of the federal law and so we you know it's the same law across the country yes now what advice do you offer to brand new attorneys they're just starting the career what's the advice you give to them to that to that brand new attorney so the advice i would give to a brand new attorney is you know, once you get your first job, right, wherever that is, right, and you may have to get the first job that maybe you're not thinking of working in, right, I never thought I would be a disability attorney ever, never crossed my mind, to you get your first job, learn your craft, right, because it is a craft, it's like a skill that you have to work on regularly, so learn your craft, be curious about the area of the law that you're in, mm -hmm. um, and if you are curious about the area of law that you're in, and you work hard for your clients, then the money will come. Mm, wow. Um, there's a proverb that you reminded me of. It talks about, um, do you see a person skilled in their work? They will not serve before officials of low rank, but they will serve before kings. And it just, mm -hmm. it's kind of something you started talking about. Honing your craft will create the opportunities for the big money to come. Right. And, um, and, and I, I love that concept. And it cannot be overstated. And, and, and sometimes it can't even be rushed. You know, yeah, that's right. The, the day in and day out, um, as you mentioned, I love that you talked about Malcolm Gladwell's concept of 10,000 hours of practice. Like, yeah, if you want to be paid like a master, you have to you become have to a master. Become... <laughs> exactly. But if you, you want to become a master, it takes the 10,000 hours of, that's right. of, of time of investment into uh, into the craft, as you mentioned. So I, I love the concept. Now, tell me what has helped you establish work-life balance as an attorney? Well, as someone who went to law school with a baby, right? Mm -hmm. um, it takes a village to raise a child. Well, it took a village to get Nina through law school. Okay, so <laughs> um, my husband, who is my absolute 100% um, Marty Ginsburg, right? 
or, um, you know, Kamala Harris's, and his name is escaping me now, I can't believe it, Doug Emhoff, right? Mm -hmm. He is my partner, right? And we succeed and we fail together. So that's huge to have somebody in your life that helps you, right? Because you can't do everything. This whole, you know, being a superwoman or work-life balance is a little bit of an anomaly. It's not really true, Mm -hmm. but you can find ways to make that happen. So um, I have that now. I had that when I was in law school and I have that now. Um, we take turns with my daughter. Uh, the grandparents are super helpful as well. I'm blessed enough that we have our parents locally. And so we were able to use them, but it doesn't have to be that. It could be um, a, a girlfriend, you know, a coworker, whoever, somebody you trust to kind of work through doing, you know, the things that you need to do, whether that means delegating, you know, food, you know, or however you deal with your day, delegate if you can so that you have room to enjoy time with your family, with your loved ones and your practice, you don't get overwhelmed, right? Cause we got to sleep. we got to eat. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but you also, if you're exhausted or you're hungry, you're not going to be able to do well and you're going to burn out and you got to mm-hmm. be careful with burnout. The other thing that I do that I've actually just started doing most re- more recently is carve out time for yourself, whatever that self-care means, whether that means, you know, making a time for you to step away from the computer because you're working too hard and go for a walk or taking a day off, you know, a mental health day for, from work or whatever that is, you know, mm-hmm. um, take care of your physical health, your uh, mental health and your spiritual health. And that will help with your, your work life balance as well. Mm, yes. The mental, the spiritual, um, the physical, I, 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 um, spot on. Absolutely. There's a, there's a phrase you used that caught my attention. You said, about you and your husband. You said we succeed together and we fail together. That's right. And I think that's a it's a beautiful concept of of unity in, in a marriage space. Naturally I'm a I'm a proponent of uh, of of how healthy marriages and, mm-hmm. and thriving marriages. I always always want that. Um, what where do you think that lesson right there you know we succeed together we, we and and we fail together. Where, where did that that come from for you like when did you learn that when did that that come to you of hey this is we're, we're very much on the same team you know together doing this like where did you pick that that one up so i think the i think we picked that up during the recession to be honest with you so my husband and i both changed careers during the, during the recession and as a lot of people and the listeners probably know this recession that we're kind of dealing with economically is kind of a woman recession. There's a lot of women have lost work, but back in 08, you know, 910, that was kind of a man session, right? A lot of men were out of work. And so my husband worked in the construction industry and in Florida, when the construction industry crashed, um, he was out of work for a bit, like a bunch of other men across the country. And so at that point we decided that um, he always wanted to be a teacher, had never done anything to be a teacher. So we said, just do it. You know, go be a teacher. What are you going to lose? Right. You might as well. There's no work out there anyway. Go has been a teacher ever since actually an administrator now in school, the best decision that we made. But it was one of those where, you know, we got to, we have a baby during a recession. The economy is not great. We're both changing careers. We got to tighten our belts and go through this together. Right. So any struggle that we have, um, we have together and every win that we have, we have together, we celebrate each other's wins and, you know, we, we cry with each other when we're having struggles. And that's something that, um, I think built our marriage, made it stronger than it would be because he was actually a stay-at-home dad for a couple of years during that mm-hmm. time, which made him a better father, a better husband, um, and a better a better everything, actually, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so we experienced that, I want to say, five-ish years into our marriage, give or take. Mm-hmm. Um, and it made our marriage stronger, you know? 
So mm. and that, that you only get with through experience. Sure. And I love how you highlighted specifically the, the, the experience with challenges, you know, yeah. the, the recession component of it. And I think, uh, and, and we, we know this, we don't like it when we're in it. We don't like when yeah. we're in the challenge. Oh, yeah. We know, we know, like we know, we've heard enough motivational speeches, our books, our concepts that we know there's something about the struggle or the challenge that does, that does make us stronger. And I'm, I'm glad to hear that that had that effect with the way you guys navigated um, those times as you, you, the way you've been described it, it was the best decision you ever made to yeah. in, encourage him in, in, the, in the direction of education um, yeah. in pursuing that. So um, that, that's awesome. I, I love hearing about it. It's like the gold through the fire, right? It gets refined and it's purified. It's not yeah. fun because you're in the heat, right? It's right, not right. fun, but you come out the other side, a pure mm. version of, of yourself. Yes, yes, yes. Now, talk to me about the other end of advice, which was when you, so as a partner in the law firm, what's the mm -hmm. best advice you received about being, again, a partner or owner in the law firm or even about being an attorney? What's the, what's the best um, advice you, you on, on the receiving end that you, that you received? Sure. So I got to backtrack a little bit to answer that question. So yeah. the place where I worked at before I decided to go to law school, um, my former boss, who I still speak to nowadays, she's known me since I was 13, her husband's an attorney. And so I asked him, who's also known me since I was 13, because I went to school with their daughter, two of their mm -hmm. daughters, I asked him to swear me in. So when it was, I didn't go to the regular ceremony with all the other attorneys, I said, I want you to swear me in. So I went to his downtown office as a partner at a big law firm in Miami. And I drove to his downtown office. And of course, being a Hispanic, my mommy showed up, right? <laughs> she may be sworn in because it's very Hispanic, right? Um, so my mom shows up as well. And he, he swore me in. But after he swore me in, he gave me this advice. And this man is also a second career attorney. He, I think, started practice. I think he sat for the bar at 40. He's in his 70s now. Mm. He had told me, um, Nina, I've known you for at least half of your life. And I've seen you grow up. Right? I've seen the life that you've had and the failures and the successes. Like You are going to do fantastic in this legal field. Do not. And you're going to make a lot of money at some point remember your attorney oath, right? Advocate for your clients and do not let any of that change your moral compass and how you, how you advocate for your clients. And that's the mm. best advice I've ever gotten. Wow. And, 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 and as I'm listening to you, like that element of that moral, that moral code, especially, I mean, some of, and, and you, you know, this, you know, and better than anybody, right? The idea sometimes where the perception of attorneys isn't always, you know, uplifting, that's right. you know, that's right. Um, but for you to say hey, that, that that was some of the best input and, uh, and again, especially with what you do, because the way you described it earlier of cl the client's lives being in your hands and then those hands that you, that you're using to, you know, hold their, their lives, mm -hmm. it, um, them being that of, um, moral strength. Yeah. And of high integrity and, and strong character. Um, and then being and then using that as a as a uh, pillar for advocating for them. I, I think that that's it's phenomenal. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. No, sure. Thank you. It's hard because, you know, there's, you know, 
we make mistakes, right? We're human and we get tempted. And so I think it's, it's hard to, um, and you're right, that reputation of attorneys is, you know, we don't have the greatest reputation, unfortunately, um, but we don't have to be those attorneys, right? And we can change that narrative, mm. right? And you change it one attorney at a time, right? Mm. Change the narrative one attorney at a time. That's motivating. I like that. Now, if someone was listening to this podcast, Nina, and they said, you know what, I want to, I want to do something to support you. They may not be in Florida, but, mm-hmm. but if somebody was listening in that could do anything to support you, your mission, your law firm, what would that be? So thankfully, you, know, you don't have to be in Florida because we're a nationwide practice. It's right, let right. people know what we do, right? Mm-hmm. If people don't know what we do, we can't help them. Um, and that's why we ask for client reviews and things like that. If you know somebody, you know, statistically, somebody will go on disability. One out of four people go out on disability, even if it's not long-term disability, once in their life, you know, whether it's because they need to go on short-term disability because somebody's, you know, pregnant and they need that time off or they break a leg, whatever it is. So disability is actually more um, prevalent in our lives than we actually realize, you know, we don't think about it. So let people know about us and what we do. That's all I ask. Mm. You know, what was fascinating as you shared that, I thought of two people right now, relatively younger, who mm-hmm. just went on disability. I was like, oh, there you go. There you go. There you go. Uh, you know, right place at the right time. So, so I'll, I'll plug you with them right after this, uh, <laughs> okay. uh, right after this podcast. But um, awesome. Now, similar question, maybe a little bit of a different emphasis. Mm-hmm. Someone who's listening to this episode and they, they could connect you with your perfect referral partner. Who would that be? Where would they be? And what do they do? So I think a perfect referral partner for us would be, again, anybody in the country. Um, Social security disability attorneys are good referral partners because it's a different beast, a different area of the law. We don't touch social security disability because we don't touch that area of the law. But a lot of people that have social security disability claims have private disability claims. Um, So that's, again, a good referral partner. I think also maybe um, people that have a maybe perhaps um, workers comp right firms because workers comp people get injured too and if you have a workers comp then you probably have a long-term disability claim as well same thing with personal injury cases so if you're talking about referrals in the legal field I think those kind of would be the three big items that would be a good referral partner for us and then otherwise I think it's just anybody who may be in need of of these kind of work, or maybe a complementary um, service, like somebody who does, you know, estate planning and does special needs trusts or something like that. Mm, fascinating. Yes. Well, podcast listeners, as you as you pause this part of the interview, and then rewind it and play it, play it again, so you're able to hear <laughs> exactly what Nina's looking for, so that um, you're able to just advocate. Again, she's spending her precious time with us sharing her insight, sharing valuable pieces of information um, that I think are going to ha- help any, anybody that's listening in. Uh, let's express our gratitude by doing our part to help find ways that, that we can connect her to her perfect referral partners. Nina, I think this is my last question for you, unless something okay. else hits me. Okay. <laughs> what are your favorite qualities of your favorite people? So to me, um, humor helps. Because, you know, I, I, I take humor with life because, you know, a lot of times when you're in a scenario, it's either you cry or you laugh, right? <laughs> depending on what's going on. Right, right. Somebody with a good sense of humor. You know, I have a colleague of mine at work that actually not at work. I have a colleague from law school who no matter how I'm feeling, I know I can send him a text and he's going to send something back that's ridiculous and it's going to make me laugh. So if I need mm-hmm. a pickup, I know I know to reach out to him and he's mm-hmm. going to make me laugh. But also, I think 
genuineness. And what do I mean by genuineness? Um, if you, you know, if you make mistakes, be honest, right? And if I'm making mistakes, call me out on it, right? So, cause that helps me be a better person that helps you be a better person that establishes trust. So that's another good quality as well. My favorite people. Ooh, yes. A sense of humor and that genuine component. Yeah. They're uh, phenomenal traits for, for us all to implement into our journeys. Well, Nina, thank you so much for spending some time with me today on, on the podcast. Well, thank you so much for having me. This was great. All right. Um, well, this episode is sponsored by Strong Life Scholars, whose mission is empowering Latinas with law student scholarships, undergraduate scholarships, community impact guidance, professional mentorships, and professional skills training. Thank you to our precious listeners for tuning in to another episode. Be sure to go over to the Apple Podcast app and give us the five-star review. Remember to subscribe and we'll connect with you on the next episode. Thank you.